below and welcome to Horror Court Trash River, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we have reached Women in Horror Month yet again. Now, Women in Horror Month used to be an official term, but I believe uh, it is just all year round now, as it should be. As it should as be. It should. Um, I don't think it's an official event, but that may have changed since I last looked, so don't take my word for it. I'm clearly half professional today. Um, but anyway, we still celebrate women in horror during February on this podcast. Uh, even though it's all year round. But specifically February. It, it's nice to take some time to um, celebrate yeah. women in horror. We obviously, if you've listened to the podcast, we obviously celebrate women in all films, all the time, (laughs) but it's nice to have a moment to really specifically say we are celebrating women in horror. Yeah. Um, So now that I've finished uh, over explaining that, let's get to our catch up session. Yeah, let's have a catch up. What is new with Chris and Gary? Yeah. Um, Best and worst of the week. I'm going to go with the worst first. Let's get it out of the way. Go on and tell us Um, the worst. The worst is, for me, anyway, um, might be the same for you, Mm -hmm. it is Juan Black Ghost, which is a shame. I didn't want to start the first episode of Women in Horror Month talking about a bad film directed by a woman, woman. but let's just say it's just not very good. Yeah. It's not great. I'm not sure what they were going for. Um, Obviously, last week we discussed uh, Juan... In our original versus remake, mm-hmm. uh, Triple Bill. Um, so we continued yeah. with the box set from Arrow. And I must say, it it jumped the shark. It did. The The franchise jumped the shark and Juan Black Ghost was the worst. Yeah. Juan White Ghost was slightly better. It was, it was average. It was a little more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And it was a little campier, a little yeah. sillier. Juan the Grudge 2 was... Amazing, I loved that, and it's stupid fucking ending. That was yeah. fine, yeah. Fully, in, I, I, I loved it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a different worst of the week? I, I'm maybe going to be a little controversial here. Oh. And I'm going to say, rather than the worst, the most disappointing. Mm. And that was Brain Dead. Uh, Brain Dead from nineteen ninety. So the Bill, not Pullman the Peter Jackson and, film, and no, and Bill Paxton film. I thought it was incredibly dull. I just, I had no idea what it was going for. Um, it felt very sort of repetitive, and I, I didn't have fun with the film when I thought I was going to. Mm. So, technically, Black Ghost is the worst film, but I was so disappointed by Brain Dead that I. I've had to put it as my worst of the week. Yeah, that's one of my highlights. There we it's go. Not often it happens. It but doesn't. It doesn't happen very often. For me, I just it just made me feel really uncomfortable and disoriented, and can't knock it for that. But yes, we there's a lot of other things we did agree on though, like season one of the White Lotus. Yes, um, finished that. Um, finally, after how about I was gonna say. <laughs> How behind are we? Uh, no, after a week, after like two after years. Two years. Like ridiculous. Absolutely feels like it was written for us. Hilariously funny, mm-hmm. gripping. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Campus tits. Yeah. And you know, Jennifer Coolidge may be one of the best comedians that we have. Yeah. Um, alive now. 
um, a natural comedian. Everything she does is hilarious. She can make one word iconic, you know, and, and, and not many people can do that. Yeah. Very sad ending. Because it's so realistic with how it ends mm. and where it puts things that it's kind of like, oh, well, do you know what? Fuck. It's not how I wanted it to end, but this is probably where it would end in real life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Very excited for season two. And we watched Scala. We did the documentary Scala from, well, last year. and uh, This year, technically. This year. Yeah, festivals yeah. last year. New release this year. Um, we watched that and we watched three of the shorts that showed at Scala, Relax, Flames of Passion and Coping with Cupid. And all four of those were just, including Scala, were fantastic. Yeah, so for, for those unaware, because I was only recently made aware, yeah. Scala was a cinema in London back in the 80s and 90s that specialised in, oh, cult... Underground cinema, uh, like John Waters, Thundercrack, um, you know, so, sort of not your mainstream film no. for um, a distinct audience of mainly punks and those who didn't mind a filthy environment. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded, to be fair, the films sounded great mm-hmm. and I would have loved, you know, I would have been there every night. The environment, if I got the sense that it probably smelled really yeah. bad. It's a little terrifying. Yeah. But at the same time, it's... And one thing I took away from the film, which I thought was great and wasn't really expected from it, is it's very much a documentary about a safe space for queer people mm-hmm. and how important that is and how it, more important it would have been at a time when there weren't many safe spaces for queer people. And I just thought that was really touching. I thought it was a really great documentary with some great interviews. Yes. Uh, erotic Thriller Fridays are back, and we started with an erotic drama, obviously, uh, called Tokyo Decadence. That was so much better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be cheap and sleazy and just not very good. I mean, well, not not exactly bad, but just I thought it'd be like I'm watching a Channel 5 erotic thriller. But it was actually a great film about a sex worker trying to find her way in life and what it is she wants to do and searching for her place and handled brilliantly um, from the author of the book that Audition's based on. He wrote and directed Tokyo Decadence and he does a fantastic job. There is some beautiful cinematography, a fantastic lead performance and just some outrageous BDSM scenes um, that were so entertaining to watch. Yeah, newly released by 88 Films. Yes. Yeah. Um, with their new J- uh, Japan Japanaki Japanaki that was so, that's what it's called but Japanese film yeah. uh, collection um, yeah I really enjoyed it I thought it looked beautiful um, not too long ago I went on a slight tangent on this podcast if you remember about pink films yeah and uh, this is definitely a pink film yeah. it's very extreme uh-huh. very sexual. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Best so, pink film we've seen. Yes, yeah, so I take that back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's so good. Yeah. And it actually feels respectful to women. 
Yeah, it it shows it's judging sex workers. Exactly, it's not judging sex workers, it's just showing some of the struggles they have to go through with some of their clients. Yeah, and I do feel that to a certain degree the film is there to titillate. Mm. I do feel maybe we're not the target audience in that sense. Mm. There is a bit of TNA, you know, one of my favourite films, Showgirls, pure TNA. You know, it's uh, there's nothing wrong with that yeah. if handled correctly. Yeah. Uh, Sugar and Spice, watched for the first time and just regretted not watching it in two thousand and one when it was first released. Um, amazing soundtrack, amazing film. Just talking about celebrating women in film. This is how teen comedies should be done from the early two thousands. I definitely feel that between I I would say post Clueless. Yeah. Um, the teen comedies, the teen movies, top tier. Yeah. Really, those millennial classics. It's between Clueless and Superbad. As in, I think Superbad was the last good one for a while. Don't quote me on it, but potentially Mm. until Booksmart. Right. Because a lot of them then went on to be so homophobic and borderline racist and misogynistic with their content and everything. But while some of Sugar and Spice doesn't age particularly well, a lot of it, it was like, it was a shame because a lot of it was progressive and a lot of it hasn't aged very well, but it's got that, it's got that good blend there where it's not too distracting to the point it ruins the film. I think for me personally, there's a distinction between teen movies from that period aimed at women. Yeah. And teen movies aimed at men. Yeah, definitely. And you get you get clueless, and you go off in that direction, and you get stuff like ten things I hate about yeah. you. Um, she's all that. That I feel are more directed at a female audience. Mm-hmm. And then you get American Pie, which yeah. is definitely more aimed at a male audience. Uh-huh. And then you get the offshoot of that, which leads you to Super Bad and yeah. so on and so forth. Um, I think there's merit to both films, American Pie and Clueless, but Sugar and Spice is definitely yeah. for me within yeah. the Aimed at Women, uh-huh. written and directed by women. It's yes. a great film, great film. Fully recommend. And with that being said, we have our best of the week. Yes. Um, a film that, I mean, if we didn't get it best of the week, uh-huh. we wouldn't be very happy if any of you watched it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but seriously, though, I mean, a lot of people, you know, when a film is a is hailed as the one of the greatest films of all time, a masterpiece, you know, you, there's always I'm always a little cautious going in as to whether it'll live up to that or not. Um, this lived up to that and then some, and it's not even my favorite in my Bergman film, which blows my mind. It is the Seventh Seal. The Seventh Seal. I knew, I knew what I thought was a lot about the Seventh mm. Seal. I'd seen the references. It was a man playing chess against death. And I thought, oh, I always thought Bergman was so serious. And this would be a good slog, but maybe potentially a depressing Mm. slog of a film. And I thought, okay, I'm prepared. And it was actually kind of fun and silly in places and really enjoyable, but also quite serious. And it left me with a lot to think about. Yeah. And it lived up to those expectations, but also didn't. <laughs> in mm. a good way, in a great way. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd heard of Seventh Seal from a very young age because I was obsessed with Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and Last Action Hero, uh, and both have big references in there to the mm-hmm. Seventh Seal. Um, and I thought maybe it was parodying the Seventh Seal, but honestly, it's not not that far off <laughs> the tone. There was a surprising <laughs> bit of campiness yeah. to it at times. Yeah, and I, I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, and and. I agree with Gary. It's not actually my favourite Bergman film. But we, we're we making our way through the Bergman yeah. films. So it hasn't been a dud yet. They've all been five stars. All been at five stars. Five, yeah. Which is amazing. Um, But now we've spoke about artistic, art house, yes. surrealism, cinema. Um, We are talking about... Artistic, art house, surrealism, cinema. We're talking about What Lies Beneath from 2000. Yes. Uh, and the spoiler warning is in effect from this very moment on. When I will, uh, from this moment now, when I'm going to ask the question, Chris, what does lie beneath? Um, Harrison Ford's um, ability to care about a horrible... <laughs> that is true. As, as, as any man... <laughs> Ever hated his job more than Harrison Ford. <laughs> I get the idea that Harrison Ford has been forced at gunpoint to star in these films. Um, and I like Harrison Ford. Uh, and Harrison yeah. Ford has been in some fantastic films and given great performances. Yeah. But his way of acting helps yeah. in a role such as Han Solo. Yeah. Which is, you know, and Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. The films that put him on the map. Yeah. Um, I actually think he gave it good effort in one of my favourite films of all time, Working Girl. Great effort. To try and be more than a, a handsome grump. Yeah. Um, but in this one, oh God, he's playing to type, isn't he? I've, I've always said <laughs> Harrison Ford is one of my favourite actors. And then yes. sometimes I sit down and think about it and I think to myself... Why? Why? <laughs> Why? He always just looks depressed and just mumbles his way through everything. I mean, whenever I think of Harrison Ford, the first thing I think of is that part from the Star Wars Holiday Special where Carrie Fisher's singing and he's just there looking depressed. And I felt like that's Harrison Ford in every film, it, apart from the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah. And you see interviews with him as well, and it seems like he hates the whole yeah. process. <laughs> Oh, Blade Runner. He's great in Blade Runner. Shout out. I haven't seen Blade Runner. I've seen Blade Runner... Is it 2049? 2049. Yeah. yeah. He was He was good. I'm not saying he's a bad actor. No, he's not. I'm not he's saying not. he's a bad actor. But sometimes you can see behind the eyes mm. that he's contractually, contractually obligated. We should do the film where he acted with a CGI dog for the podcast. I feel like that would be hilarious. Like, could you imagine Harrison yeah. Ford being forced to work with a CGI dog for an entire film? It's Call of the Wild, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Shout out to Alison Hammond. Do you remember that interview yes. where she actually got in to have a good time and laugh and have fun? <laughs> and it's like, okay, this is um, what Harrison Ford could be. Yeah. More on um, more Harrison, on that. a lot more. More on, on that. Harrison Ford and the massive inconvenience that is his job. Um, yeah. Shortly, yeah. Um, what lies beneath? What a film. Yeah, it's it's a film. It's, it's a, a film. Great film. It's, it's it's 
A film I, from the year 2000. It is. I have a lot of nostalgia. Blockbuster, absolute blockbuster classic for me. Um, rented it so many times. As a kid, I was obsessed. I thought it was an erotic thriller as a kid because mm. I thought that's the scene with the red dress. I'm so saucy. Oh, I shouldn't be watching this. Um, but watching it as an adult, it's I've I've learned my lesson. It's not as saucy as I as I once thought. But what it is is high fucking camp. It is the highest of high camp. It is Michelle Pfeiffer, red wine, Christina Crawford, ghost hunting. <laughs> Fucking detective work. Oh my god. Agatha Christie, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Just perfection. I have to say, I I feel like I picked the VHS up at some oh, point you at Virgin Megastore. You're a fucking closeted gay boy, of course you did. Yeah. And I kind of looked at it and said, no, no thank you. <laughs> and put it down. And now you wish. And then picked up Wild Things. And then watch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now this is where me and Gary differ. Gary thought what lies beneath was saucy, and I was watching Wild Things. Yeah. On VHS. Um. <laughs> but yes, and now I understand that I should have said yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. Because absolutely. it is. I mean, yeah. It's it's melodrama. It's um. I mean, reliant on Michelle Pfeiffer, and thank God she did a good job. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, one thing I that completely slipped past me as a kid because mm-hmm. I loved Back to the Future as a kid. It was one of my favorite films. I preferred the second one. Um, third one's good, and I enjoyed Who Framed Roger Rabbit as a kid. I loved Castaway as a kid. Mm. I didn't know this was directed by Robert Zemeckis. Mm. Um, of course, director of everything I've just mentioned, as well as Forrest Gump, Contact, Flight, The Polar Express. Um, you can see where it gets its horror from with Polar Express, uh, Romance in the Stone, Death Becomes Her, and more. And honestly, that just blows my mind. Yeah, I think it's something that maybe we're lacking a bit now with directors, if I'm being perfectly honest. Mm. The genre range. Yeah. And that's not to say that films, you know, they don't differ. And, you know, looking at you, Christopher Nolan, you know, mm. his films aren't different to each other. Really. Yeah. In many ways. But I don't see Christopher Nolan making a ghost no. haunted house no. or a musical at any point. So you have a director like um, Robert Zemeckis who does so many different genres. Yeah, very Comedy. similar to Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. But even before that, you, you look at someone like Robert Wise. Yeah. The director of The Sound of Music... Was also the director of The Haunting. Mm, Robert Altman. Robert Altman. He put a finger in so many pies. Yeah. Um, genre-wise. That well. is. <laughs> but, but you understand what I mean. I, I yeah. feel like now maybe that's potentially lost. Yeah, I feel like directors stick very close to their genres now. Yeah, um, and I think it's... We've got there sort of via... Uh, a lot of directors who were forced to stay mm. in their genre. I'm looking at you, Wes Craven. Yeah. Who maybe didn't want to be typecast in that sense, mm-hmm. but were so good at it yeah. that they were kind of stuck with it. You know, and I, uh-huh. and I think that's a shame. And we've got to this point now where I would just, I would love to see a director 
you know, like Greta Gerwig, mm. give me an erotic thriller. Yeah. Because I yeah. know she could do it. Mm-hmm. I know she could. Absolutely. But I, I hope that she's not, not stuck with, because I still think she'd do a fantastic job, but I hope she's not typecast into being a certain kind of director yeah. Yeah. after the success of Barbie. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want range, darling, range. Yeah. Um, so Robert Zemeckis filmed this whilst production for Castaway was shut down so Tom Hanks could lose weight for his character. Oh. And he consciously shot this film in the style of Hitchcock if Hitchcock had access to digital technology. The heroine is a blonde, a common trademark of Hitchcock films. Um, yeah, I find Brian De Palma is constantly... Yeah. Um, not red, um, but it's constantly brought up. How mm-hmm. much he takes from Hitchcock, but I feel like so many yeah. well, thrillers, this absolutely mm-hmm. takes steals a little bit from Hitchcock, yes. which is yeah. fine. I would. Okay, he's he's probably the best to ever do it, so I'd I'd give it a good go. You know. Well, funny enough, this doesn't just steal from Hitchcock. Mm. This. <laughs> okay. It's actually. A loose remake of the Charlie's Angels episode of Ghosts and Angels. So Michelle Pfeiffer is even a, a type for the gorgeous Shelley Hack, who won't relent until she gets to the bottom of things. In that episode, a woman is haunted by the ghost of her husband's deceased wife, who guides her to solve the crime. Many more similarities are too exact to be mere coincidences. Mm. The murderer is the husband in both film in both titles, should I say. The husband there made fun of his wife, Erica, in front of her friend, Angel Tiffany, for claiming to have seen a ghost in an almost word-for-word replica scene in this film. Norman does the same to Claire, in front of friends. And uh, both women then appear tremendously self-conscious in front of their friends when the husband has put them on the spot so callously. The film also recreated um, the treasure chest scene, in both titles, it is where the information uh, is, uh, is on the deceased woman helping solve the crime. In the series, it's a large hope chest. In the film, it's a small wooden jewellery box. The film added on to the basic storyline enough to conceal its obvious origins and not enough to admit that it's uh, a remake so it doesn't have to pay royalties. Yeah. Both, you know, eventually end up with independent remakes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they couldn't call this Charlie's Angels because it was released the same year as the other Charlie's Angels. So I don't think. Yeah, I. I. I mean, it would be quite. Well, I don't know. I'd love to see a Charlie's Angels film dealing with that plot line. Yeah. I mean, my biggest critique of what lies beneath, and I might as well get it out of the way now because it helps me. <laughs> is that the film's too long. Uh-huh. So I would like to see it in a, I'm assuming Charlie's Angels in an hour. Yeah. In an hour format. Because it might actually flow a little better. <laughs> yeah. No, no pun intended. Well, it also owes a lot to the changeling, such as a house being haunted by someone who was murdered, a lead character investigating, and uncovering the shocking truth about those murders, objects moving, door opens, doors opening by themselves, a seance, Baths filling themselves, ghostly faces seen underwater. Both films also have lead characters who work at a university and classical musicians. 
um, in what lies beneath Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is a university research scientist, and Michelle Pfeiffer is a classical cellist. Whereas in The Changeling, George C. Scott is a classical musician composer who works at a university. Also in The Changeling, the lead female character is called Claire Norman. In What Lies Beneath, the main couple are called Claire and Norman. Oh. Even their surname, Spencer, which is a family name used in The Changeling. The Spencer family, which used to own a house that's haunted and founded the Spencer Carmichael Corporation that is depicted in the film. I do think, now that you've said about Castaway, yeah. that Robert Zemeckis has just kind of thrown together a He watched a bit of Charlie's Angels, watched The Changeling, he's like, do you know what? <laughs> He's like, fuck it, I've got some spare time, <laughs> let's give it a go, and see if it works. Yeah. And, spoiler alert for something Gary's maybe about to say, but it did work. It did. No, because? Because what? It was a big box office success. Uh, well, no, I've not got to that yet. Actually. Yeah, I know, that's what I'm saying. First, we've got to say who it's written by. <laughs> so, it's written by Clark Gregg. Yes. Clark Gregg, as in Agent Coulson from the MCU. Oh. Star of Sex and the City, The Usual Suspects, Magnolia, 500 Days of Summer, AI, Artificial Intelligence, and many more. Okay. Writer of Choke and mm. Trust Me Also. Mm-hmm. And it's co-written, and this is why we are covering it, by Sarah Kunakan, who did Nine and a Half Weeks, Summersby, Dancers, uh, Impromptu, Strike, Learning to Drive, and also the director of Marjo and Strike. So, uh, Women in Horror Month, we'll be discussing films either directed and or written by women, and that is what this is. But also, I think films, especially with next week, if we do a Valentine's special coming up, a film that's not made by women, but is about a woman, a very different type of representation than this. Um, but I think also, with this film being such a strong woman's story as well, I think it's also important to cover during Women in Horror Month. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think a big influence for the film and also a big influence for the Charlie's Angels episode would be Gaslight. Yeah. Um, everyone is familiar with the term now, but yeah. obviously it's based on a 1940 film starring Ingrid Bergman mm-hmm. um, that's about a husband who is, you know, making out that his wife is insane mm-hmm. so that he can get away with her riches. Yeah. In this one, in this case, it's obviously a husband who is gaslighting his wife mm-hmm. in an effort to cover up the fact that he had an affair and murdered his yeah. mistress. Um, so I think it was a huge influence on both of those films. Yeah. And it's now a very common term mm-hmm. for a certain relationship, mainly between men and women. As yeah. it was in the 1940 film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, budget, $100 million. And it made $291.4 million at the box office. Despite the theatrical trailer being criticised for spoiling plot twists, including the identity of the ghost. Oh. Um, but yeah, huge success. Yeah. Tenth in the box office, I think, for mm-hmm. that year. Um, which I think for... Maybe what could have been a throwaway film. Yes. So many throwaway films like this later on in the 2000s. Just, you know, female-centred horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, proper female fronted, front and center. Um, we got a slew of them afterwards, we did. I think. And I, I think this really started that precedence. But maybe caught people off guard. Mm -hmm. But I actually, the advertising was everywhere, if I remember correctly. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, we're talking about 23 years ago. But I do, I do remember it was it was everywhere. So maybe the name value, Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. Harrison Ford, and Robert Zemeckis, maybe that helped mm -hmm. as well. Oh, definitely. Should we talk about who's in it? Yes, in a section we like to call, Hey, I Know You. Her Majesty, Lord and Saviour, Michelle Pfeiffer. The Pfeiffer. She is here. She is serving cunt. She is, as the kids say these days, serving pussy. She is just every every gay praise word you can think of. Throw it at her because she fucking slays this film. Every second she's on screen. Yes, her outfits may not be as big as Slay, but there's one scene that makes up for all of that. Mm. She absolutely dedicates everything to acting like a bored housewife in this film who just fancies getting wine drunk and solving mysteries and hunting ghosts. And I love her for it. She plays Claire Spencer. And she is the legend who starred in Batman Returns, One Fine Day, Hairspray, Mother. She is Mother. Sacri sacrifice? Scarface, even. What the Duh. fuck is Sacrifice? Ant-Man and the Wasp, Murder on the Orient Express, Dr Dark Shadows, and so many more. She stated in an interview, as if we weren't slayed enough, stated in an interview that she used Drew Barrymore's method of projecting fear to help her get into character. Queens standing queens. Because <laughs> she shouldn't have that bleach blonde bob, though. Well, they both had ugly outfits. So. They did. Um, she also stated that she was initially put off by all the technical aspects of the film, but eventually learned to embrace them, and in the end she found an experience both educational and enjoyable. Good, good for her. Yeah. Good for her. I think she gives a fantastic performance. She does. She does. Uh, any other Michelle Pfeiffer films you want to mention? Oh, oh, From her oh my God. So many. You missed Grease 2. Oh, yes. It's true. Did you mention uh, The Prince of Egypt? I did not. Yeah. Uh, Witches of Eastwick. Dangerous Liaisons. Mm -hmm. One of my favourites. And Dangerous Minds. Yeah. If you're going to do a dangerous double build, Michelle Pfeiffer films. Yeah. Yeah, 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 iconic. Um, I think a big box office name as I well. Think so. I, I genuinely, particularly at this time, um, coming off the success of Batman Returns, mm -hmm. and if I remember correctly, Dangerous Minds was a quite a success as yeah. well. So yeah, definitely, um, well, well chosen. Well, her and next up on our list, uh, Harrison Ford, were directed uh, director Robert Zemeckis' first and only choices for these roles. Mm. Um, yeah, Harrison Ford plays Dr. Norman Spencer, of course, the star of Indiana Jones, Star Wars, The Fugitive, Blade Runner, Witness, Working Girl, 1923, Apocalypse Now, American Graffiti, Air Force One, and so many more. But this is his only horror film. And the first film in which he plays a major villain, because he had a minor role as a villain in the conversation. But aside from that, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, 
not surprised, I suppose. No. No. <laughs> Can you imagine him in more horror films? <laughs> I don't... Yeah. No, I don't, really. I, th- I think he's great as an action... A handsome action star. Yeah, it doesn't need to be anything else. Yeah, I do I do think the struggle was real with this one. <laughs> um, I'm not surprised he didn't really do it again. Yeah. Um... I just got I just got the idea that he he did not want to be there. <laughs> no. Someone who did want to be there was Diana Scarwid as Jodie. This she is Christina Crawford in Mummy Dearest. She certainly is. Silkwood, Truman, Pretty Baby, Another Happy Day, Dream Boy, Local Colour, Red Fred, Party Monster, The Angel Doll, and more. Doesn't get the best performance in Mummy Dearest, but she is fucking great here she plays to uh her strengths i think i've only seen her in two films um (laughs) but her performance in mummy dearest was comical so i'm assuming she's a great comedian uh because she is quite funny in this and she she plays almost a comic relief character as well i did i think she does great but what what a uh filmography for I don't think she's queer, but uh, <laughs> maybe a queer icon. Because <laughs> yeah. Party Monster, uh, Psycho 3, mm-hmm. If These Walls Could Talk. You know, that's, there's some pretty camp yeah. classics there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Miranda Otto is in this as Mary Fuhr. She was the star of The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers and Return of the King, The Thin Red Line... Uh, Spielberg's War of the Worlds, Talk to Me last year, Annabelle Creation, and more. Who was she in Talk to Me? She was the mum. Oh. Oh, because she is, um, if I remember correctly, is she... Australian. Australian. Yeah. Oh, nice. She didn't do much in this, not going to lie. She doesn't, no. But playing her husband... Uh, is... Playing her husband. <laughs> <laughs> James Remar as Warren Fuhrer. He was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Django Unchained, Oppenheimer, Sex in the City, Cruising, How Razor Inferno, previous podcast film, uh, well, and Cruising, uh, Pineapple Express, and more. Now, Mr. Sex in the City expert over here, who yes. was he in Sex in the City? He had the recurring role of um, Samantha's boyfriend, the one who owned the hotels. And who was Clark Gregg? In Sex and the City. Clark Gregg? Who was Clark Gregg in this? The writer. Oh. <laughs> Agent Coulson from the MCU. Oh, Agent Coulson. I think he was a random Miranda date. I think he was For too. one film. Yeah. Um, one episode. For one episode. Yeah. And, you know, I get confused. Um, but he played... So, James Remar, he played Richard. Yeah. So, a recurring role. Probably after Smith... Um, Samantha's main squeeze. So, and also, he barely does anything in this film as well. <laughs> well, do you have anyone else? Um, I don't think I do actually. Um, I think there's maybe a few. Um, but none, none that scream out to me. Those are all the mains. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who was the mother of um the murdered girl? She oh, was Mrs. in one of Frank. Yeah, she was in one of those roles where it's like I feel like you're a bigger deal than I think, I think she's I think she's played a lot of small roles oh, in a okay. lot of films. So just looking at her filmography now, Nicole Mercurio 
which is a fantastic name. Um, she was in While You Were Sleeping, Flashdance, Alligator, The Client, The Grifters, uh, Peter Bogdanovich's Mask. Um, yeah, I'm assuming in smaller roles. Yeah. Um, but she's, she's, I suppose she's got one of those recognisable faces. She has. Um, Catherine Town. Mm-hmm. You might recognise. She played Caitlin Spencer. Okay. And uh, she was in... Talking of someone who doesn't get much to do. Yeah, that's very true. Um, she was in Mulholland Drive. Oh. But I'm a cheerleader. She's all that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that one with the... I'm, I'm seeing the poster, but I'm forgetting the name. Oh, Blades of Glory. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Blades of Glory. Oh, is it? I thought it was Blades. It's awful either way, it doesn't matter. Have you seen it? Yeah, of course. Unfortunately. How many Will Ferrell films? It's like... Uh... It doesn't matter. Let's talk about our feature presentation. He was the perfect husband until his one mistake. Did you know her? I had an affair with her. She threatened to kill herself. Followed them home. There's a ghost in my house. And now she's trying to hurt you. Stop it. Who do you think it is? I know exactly who it is. Harrison Ford. Tell me what to do. Michelle Pfeiffer. Something! Lies beneath. Former cellist Claire Spencer and her husband Norman, an accomplished scientist and professor, live a quiet life at their lakeside home in Vermont. Claire wakes up in the bath and uses a hairdryer to remove steam from her bathroom mirror before waking up her daughter Caitlin by saying, Good morning, beauty. Jesus. It's so, like, Real Housewives of Orange County coded. <laughs> Carl Richards. Well, good morning, beauty. I Beverly Hills, I'm thinking. Well, either of them, really. Um, but I, it feels like something Vicky Gumbleson would do. Good morning, beauty. My mum woke me up. Like, good morning, beauty. What the fuck are you going on about? Piss off. And I love my mum to bits. So it's not, nothing against my mum, but very American. Like, good yeah. morning, beauty. <laughs> You're taking the piss. <laughs> piss off. Um, that bathroom, five different versions of the bathroom set were constructed so various parts of the same scene could be filmed at different times on opposite coasts. Okay, nice. Bathroom is a key it's a nice location bathroom. in this film. That's the kind of tub I'd like. Yeah. But I Do you think Meredith Marks would appreciate it? Meredith Marks would love that tub. Yeah. It's, it's a big one as well, though. I don't think I've ever been in a tub that big. Mm-hmm. Do you think a lush bath bomb would go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe we get to see full use of it. Yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, in that bathroom, Michelle Five is like in a town full of dirty secrets. Everyone could use a bath. <laughs> Claire notices their new neighbors, Mary and Warren Fuhr, have a volatile relationship and watches them argue whilst Norman tries it on with her, much to her annoyance. She's like Norman Spencer. <laughs> yeah, she's been a nosy bitch at the window. Um, the the film is reliant on her being a bit of a nosy bitch. Yeah. Um, so Norman tries to bang her against the window. <laughs> but, what's her daughter's? What's her daughter yeah, still? Yeah, but Caitlin's in the other room, so she's like, no, Norman. Um, I, I, no, no. I, I feel like Norman Spencer. And it's annoying me. Is a British is a British comedy. comedy. Um, if I actor. Norman Spencer, 
Um, <laughs> well, he was a British film producer. Close enough. Which is great. Um, but I, I feel like, yeah, it might come to me. It might not. It's either porridge. I know what you mean. Do you mean Norman Wisdom? No, no. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. It, it, it probably won't come to me. Yeah. So if you know, DM me. Let me know. So Norman and Claire's relationship is strained, particularly after Caitlin leaves for liberal arts college. Of course she... Uh... <laughs> of course... Sorry. Of course she leaves for liberal <laughs> arts college. She's given me riot girl energy. Yeah. She's given me tank girl. Yeah. Um, we barely fucking see her for the rest of it's the true. film. So we it's, don't it's see her for the rest of the film, shame. do we? Um, no, I suppose we I think this is it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm living for it. And it's it's a damn shame yeah. that her and her probably queer roommate <laughs> aren't seen more in the film. Norman and Claire, um, they start having sex when they hear neighbour Mary moaning loudly. So Claire suggests they leave the window open so they can try outdoing them. Sadly, because it's a PG-13, we never get to find out if Claire managed to outdo neighbour Mary. Yes. Um, I got an issue with this. Yeah. Because they're really nice houses. This is definitely rich white people problems, Mm -hmm. the movie. Um, (laughs) And the neighbours are really far away. Yeah. So it's how loud must they have been? Uh-huh. Like ridiculous. And also, she's been like spying on them because she knows things have been getting really heated. Mm-hmm. Surely at that point she'd be like, "Oh my god, maybe I should check and see if everything's okay." Oh, but no, she's um, like, "No, you know, fuck it, let's outdo them." Maybe she's getting killed rather than, um, yeah, getting a orgasming. <laughs> well, someone else has an orgasm. Um, oh, it's Claire. Spoiler alert. Whilst the next day, while she's looking at old photos of her and Norman. She she loves it's a rummaging through old clippings, doesn't she? <laughs> I don't know what's going on here, but she's just looking and she's just oh 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 my god okay um they're just photos yeah I don't know <laughs> I don't really understand why she takes issue with these she does a lot of looking through photos she does bless her she does um the the biggest her biggest character trait is the fact that her life. She's got empty nest syndrome. Yeah. So Caitlin has gone off to liberal arts college. Norman isn't spending enough time at home. Uh-huh. He's very busy at work. And she doesn't play the cello anymore. No. Um, despite the cello being in the house. Because spoiler alert, she plays it later. <laughs> so I don't know why she doesn't just give herself a chance and play it. Yeah. But anyway. But she feels unfulfilled. She does. Yeah. She's taken a... a a uh, step back mm-hmm. in her career and she doesn't know what she's doing. So she does a lot of sitting on the floor and reminiscing over newspaper clippings and old photos yeah. and such. She was definitely that mum to Caitlin, like going out with her and her friends are like, oh, I thought you were a sister. Yeah. That sort of Which if it was Michelle Pfeiffer, I'd be like, yes, come and yeah. join us. Just don't wear what you're wearing in this scene. No. Um, she runs outside for a cry. She does. Where she hears neighbour Mary crying. She goes over to the fence to ask if she's okay when neighbour Mary gives her a jump scare and is in hysterics. Great scene for the trailer. Yeah. She panics when her husband returns home and runs away in a very camp way. Yeah, yeah. Um, Claire suspects that Mary's been abused by her husband. Yes. Um, because of the way that she talks. Yeah. 
which again like Gary said in context of the trailer is fantastic and the film as a whole is a bit of a dud of a red herring if I'm being perfectly I honest I loved this red herring when I was a kid I was convinced this was what the film was about yeah I, I thought oh my god point. what are we gonna what are they gonna do Paul Miranda Otto but um, it's kind of a lot of the film is reliant on this really weird phrasing that she uses but i mean at the end of the day you know it does come across that way with the way she's acting it's fucking sketchy yeah but really michelle Pfeiffer should be calling the police (laughs) spoiler alert yeah the way she's acting is if her husband potentially could kill her that's the way she's acting yeah but spoiler alert he isn't no and by the sort of what halfway, halfway point, yeah. it's revealed that that isn't the case, and they're lovey dovey and loving life. Yeah, she's like a reverse um, Marion Crane. Yeah, so it feels a little forced, if mm. I'm being honest. Um, can I just? I, I I need to speak about this. Yeah. Did Michelle Pfeiffer really agree to wearing a <laughs> pink? Polo shirt, ill-fitting stonewashed jeans, and <laughs> chunky sandals. I hope it's not her own wardrobe. You know the scene in Mean Girls <laughs> where Katie has to wear pink on a Wednesday. Yeah. And she borrows a shirt yeah. because she hasn't got anything. And all her clothes aren't really mm-hmm. Americanized or stylish. She looks like that. She does. But... The pink is... It looks like it's gone on too hot a wash. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. It's not. I'm not a fan. <laughs> um, so Claire tries telling Norman about it over dinner, but he isn't interested. Oh, he can give two shits. No. He reminds her that he's got to go away for work. Um, the next day, Claire's walking back to her front door. It's like, hey, lady, what are you doing? And it's her friend, her mystic friend, Jodie. Jodie the hippie. She stopped by to see how she's holding up and she confides in her. Jodie, being the great friend that she is, has brought some kombucha mushroom tea to soothe headaches and promote psychic wowness. Yes. I I mean, shall we get some kombucha mushroom tea and see if it works? Uh, yeah, yeah. We could all start acting like Jodie. Kombucha is, you know, those fizzy drinks that I mm. get that are meant to be good, like fermented, yeah. good for your stomach. You do realise that's what that is. I, I do. I'm fully aware. And it kind of tastes like ass. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> add mushrooms into add it. Add mushrooms to it. <laughs> Can't go wrong. If raspberry and uh, passion fruit doesn't work, <laughs> add mushrooms. Well, funny enough, kombucha mushroom tea isn't the fanciest thing that Jodie has with her on this day. No. Instead, it's her new car. Yes. Um, which she does a pose on. She's slaying. And she's like, yes, it's a beautiful thing, Alimony. You lose a husband, get a car. Like, yes, bitch. She says, I think it will help me pick up dudes. Yes. Um, It's giving certain strack. Mm-hmm. Um, a slightly kooky but rich woman who yeah. gets paid alimony. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm living for it. Good old Jodie. Yeah, she's got a very exciting life, but we know who hasn't. Poor Claire, Poor who was Claire. so bored of her life, 
to the point she, she's playing solitaire on her own on the computer. Surely it can't be that bad. Just One... break the cello out, for <laughs> fuck's sake. One dark and stormy night, uh, when she has a power cut, and notices neighbour Warren taking something wrapped in bin bags into his car. Uh, she wakes Norman up to show him, but by the time he looks, there's nothing there. And it's scared the life out of me as a kid. Oh my god. Murdered her. Fuck. Yeah, this yeah. is a direct reference to not only the film Disturbia, mm-hmm. but to Rihanna's the music song. video yeah. for the song Disturbia. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Ahead of its time. <laughs> Obviously, like so many films. Uh-huh. It's Rear Window, it's which is Rear which is Window. great. I mean, Rear Window has probably one of the best premises mm-hmm. in film history. Yeah. You know, let's, you know, might as well copy that. Yeah. It's great. It works. Nice. Worked in The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, Claire goes <laughs> he down... He looks a little like Ned Flanders as well, actually. He, he had does. a moustache. Yeah. <laughs> Claire goes down to the lake when Cooper, the family dog, refuses to catch his favourite ball. <gasps> She then sees a woman's body in the lake and begins to sense an unseen presence in the house, which starts when the front door opens by itself, followed by the radio switching itself on. She visits Norman at work. Big inconvenience. Do you know what? As if Harrison Ford is an inconvenience enough, he's also being interrupted at work now. Mm -hmm. Um, When she goes there, they're talking about a new serum that they're testing on rats. That, that can paralyse someone. <gasps> oh. Um, and uh, I, they make a big point of it. Yeah. Um. wonder if that's going to come back it later on. come back later <laughs> on. It's not subtle at all. <laughs> um, she tells him about the strange goings on. So he goes home and tells her he'll get the police to check the house out. She has a laugh at him because he overacts and gets sensitive, overreacts and gets sensitive about his dead father. <laughs> I got what a, a fucking loser. That this is <laughs> this is how I interpreted it as well. Because he tells a story of someone forgetting that his father had yeah. died. And she tells him that he overacts about it all the time. <laughs> okay, a bit harsh. It's not very nice, is it? <laughs> Funny though. It's not what you overreact about. Your father's <laughs> death. After neighbor still going on about your dead dad, <laughs> fucking hell. After neighbor Mary is unseen for several days, Claire suspects neighbor Warren may have killed her. Claire visits their house and chats with neighbor Warren, who tells her neighbor Mary isn't there and refuses to tell her when she'll get back. Yeah, he acts very suspiciously, um, as if he's hiding something, but he's not. Yeah, so it makes you question: What was he up to? Oh, yeah, because there's also there's a shoe out front there with is. blood on, and I don't mm. think that's ever really explained, is it? It's not, no. So maybe that was never her shoe. Mm. Maybe he was coming. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that night, Claire spies on neighbour Warren with binoculars whilst talking with gal pal Jodie on the phone, giving her all the tea. Yeah. <laughs> she watches him eat dinner, alone, and then when Jodie hangs up, Warren catches her watching him. She's there... Using binoculars, but I don't know what fucking opticians Warren went exactly. to. But his glasses, he can vision. see fucking so far away. He can see Michelle Pfeiffer watching him. Now, when she says to Jody about a TV dinner, does she mean that Warren ate a TV dinner? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Okay, that's that's good. I believe so. Because I I thought that because we get a jump scare mm-hmm. 
and it's Norman returning home. Yeah. And Norman tells her, come on, you've got five minutes to get ready. Mm. We've got dinner reservations with a friend of his. Yeah. So I thought that she'd eaten a TV dinner mm-hmm. and now she's been forced to eat a second dinner because <laughs> she's too embarrassed to tell him that she forgot and ate a TV dinner. Yeah. But then I don't, Maybe. I don't feel like she's the kind of character that would have a TV dinner. No, but she is bored with life. She is she's bored with life, time. yeah. Um, but yes, he comes back and uh, they have plans with Stan and his new squeeze, Elena. Now, the scene in between this and when they get to dinner, when they're in the car, nothing of note happens, but I just wanted to point out the lovely shot of the two of them talking, and you can only see them through the rearview mirrors. Okay. Um, yeah, just thought, great bit of cinematography. Very nice. Claire knows Elena <gasps> and is happy for a catch-up with her old gal pal. The four of them all talk over each other at dinner, like they're in a Robert Altman film. <laughs> And uh, Claire tells them that she gave up being a musician for a living so she could marry Norman. What a fucking shit decision that was. Yeah, so Elena, she knew Claire from, um, I think she went to Juilliard. Yeah. So um, they were in the same class and Elena's saying how wonderful Claire was, top of the class. Yeah. Really just, you know, um, A-star student. And rightfully quest- starts asking questions about why such a talent would give up playing yeah. cello. Um, Norman, the prick, um, he mentions slash gaslights Claire at the dinner table mm-hmm. over the weird things happening at the house in an effort to embarrass her. Yeah. Slash to take the heat off him mm-hmm. for b- really being the reason why Claire doesn't play the cello anymore. Yeah. Elena believes in ghosts. Of course she does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a bit... I do feel this film it does sort of play into the tropes of women believing mm-hmm. and men yeah. not believing uh-huh. in the supernatural. I do feel like it kind of plays into those stereotypes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Which is, I mean, fine. if You're going to be campy about uh-huh. it. <laughs> Um, back at home, a framed article about Norman falls off his desk and shatters, leading Claire to discover an odd key inside a vent. Oh, and uh, it leads to the discovery in a horrible way. I hate it, hate it, hate it. Because she gets a piece of glass in her foot. Yeah. And it's like, uh-huh. I hate that. Vomiting in films and glass or nails or anything sticking into a foot, yeah. I'm not a fan of. Good on Robert Smekers for finding something disgusting to add into a PG-13. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, she finds her bathtub mysteriously filled and sees another woman's reflection in the water. Very camp scream. It is. From Michelle Pfeiffer. It is. <laughs> Perfect for the she trailer. She really could have been a big screen queen. She could have. Confiding in a psychiatrist, Claire and Jodie then hold a seance with neighbour Mary's shoe. A bottle of red wine, mm-hmm. a candle, and a Ouija board in the fucking bathroom. <laughs> well, do you know what I find surprising? Is that this her psychiatrist told her to do this. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so someone believes. Yeah. A man believes. A man believes. A man believes. It's probably gay. Yeah, maybe. I mean, honest to God, 
this is so camp. Yeah. This is just the height of camp. This is. They're both clearly wine drunk, doing a fucking messy Ouija board. Oh my god, <laughs> amazing! The doors that Practical Magic opened yeah. for wines <laughs> swilling. According, well, according to the original script by Clark Gregg, the scene with the Ouija board was started by Jody. Later, she runs out screaming after the seance gets a little out of hand and the scene was changed for the film in order to emphasise how much Claire thinks she's losing her mind. Okay. I'm glad it's like this. Uh, although Jodie running out screaming could have been camp as well. That could have been. Because we end on a jump scare. We do. Well, the candle blows out on its own. Yeah. The planchette moves slightly on its own. The bathroom door begins to open on its own when Cooper comes in for a jump scare. Cooper. She finds, uh, after this, she finds the bathroom, uh, the bathtub filled again with the message, you know, written on a steamy mirror. While her computer inexplicably types the initials M-E-F. So she goes to visit Norman and work again. He's exhausted at this point. And she gets there, and she's like, she's dead! And he's like, who's, who's dead? And she's like, you know damn well who's dead! And then she's just like, going off at him. Um, she tells him she's being haunted by neighbour Mary's ghost, and he accuses her of trying to sabotage his success at work. He actually says, he says, are you angry with me? Do you resent the amount of time I spend at work? Yes. I, I am the uh, Harrison Ford whisperer. And uh, <laughs> I understand what he says. And um, uh, she says, rightfully says, Norman, this isn't about you. Yes. Something is happening to me. And it's it's not to get even. Yeah. And it's not some warped bid for attention. Something is happening in our house, whether you like it or not. Um, My question is, on the computer... M-E-F is typed over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So why didn't they just type the full name? <laughs> because, True. spoiler alert, the maybe dead woman who lives next door seems to have the same initials as the girl that Norman killed after yeah. <laughs> having an affair with her, which is a wonderful coincidence. <laughs> but the fact that despite being able to type numerous times, mm-hmm. the ghost didn't think to just type her own full <laughs> name. <laughs> but it's on the Solitaire website and it was a leadership board, so you might only be able to do three letters at a time. Okay. I suppose you could still spell it So out, why not yeah. M-E-N? <laughs> like M-A-R. <laughs> why is it? Like, oh. um, well, well Claire... it's not Mary, is it, actually? No. The... What was the name of the... Madison. Madison. Yeah. Oh, you could have typed Madison. Okay. Claire confronts Warren and she says, you, you think you're smart, don't you? You think you got away with it, but I know what you did, you murdering son of a bitch. <laughs> and it's given Real Housewives. It is. Um, It's so awkward, so camp. Neighbour Mary makes it even more camp and awkward when she walks over, alive and well. Later, she goes on to explain that she went to stay with her mother in Providence after a fight with neighbour Warren. Yeah. Of course. Mary apologises for scaring Claire as she did. Because Claire rightfully says, I distinctly remember you saying that you thought that you may be dead soon. 
Yeah. Like, you actually said those words. She's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I said those words, but I didn't really mean them. <laughs> Jody leaves Clara a gift on her doorstep. Uh, a copy of the book, Witchcraft, Ghosts and Alchemy. Aww. Clara and Norman go to his work gathering. Neighbours are there. And in a hilarious scene, neighbour Warren pretends to strangle neighbour Mary for a laugh. <laughs> So everyone's gaslighting her. Yeah. Claire continues to get wine drunk, like she's done through most of the film so far. She's had enough. Half her blood's wine at this point. An old lady tells her that she's glad she's okay and reminds her of the last time she saw her when Claire broke the lady's crystal and went pale like she had seen a ghost. On the back of Norman's article, Claire finds a story about a missing woman named Madison Elizabeth (gasps) Frank. M.E.F. M.E.F. Now the real plot kicks in. So, do you know what I miss in films now? What? A slow-ass internet photo reveal. Yes. As the pixels become clearer. <laughs> Not enough um, women Google things to solve mysteries in films anymore. Well, they do, but the photo just pops up straight away. <laughs> I, I like when it's it takes a while for the uh, photo yeah. to appear clearly. It clearly. Claire confronts Norman about Madison and tells him she thinks Madison's haunting her, so he continues to gaslight her. Of course. Of course. She then does what every woman in a horror film does at this point and tracks down Madison's mother. Um, She offers her a coffee. She's like, just plain coffee. None of that mucking nonsense. And it's like, you look a little old for a student. Like, Okay, fucking rude. Yeah. Number one, who the fuck asked for a mocker? I know. Like, <laughs> back in my day. It's the kind of people who voted for Brexit. It is. It's that energy. Like, no one asked for a mocker. And people are allowed a mocker if they want a mocker. Um, Claire visits her daughter's bedroom where she steals a lock of Madison's hair that happens to be hanging up on I the know. wall. Who keeps their hair and notices, around? <laughs> notices a photo of her wearing an unusual necklace. So performing a ritual from a book, Claire attempts to conjure Madison and in an iconic series of events. Uh, possibly a sequence of events that helped jumpstart my love for camp cinema. Seemingly possessed by her spirit, Claire aggressively seduces Norman, shocking him by speaking as Madison. She's like, hello, Dr. Spencer. Takes an apple from his hand and says, forbidden fruit. You got a problem with that? (laughs) She then proceeds to sit on some stairs, open her legs with a candle in the middle of them and eats the fucking apple. Oh, not Michelle Pfeiffer doing the number 17, the spread eagle. Oh my God. The Sharon Stone, basic instinct. It is PG-13. The Sharon Stone. Either way, it is a gigantic sleigh. Child me thought this was porn. I thought this was the height of erotica. And, oh, I'm it's just not, amazing. I'm not an expert, but hopefully if there's any uh, women listening, <laughs> maybe could answer this question for me. When you want to seduce a man, do you, all you have to do is open your legs. Is that the, is that the signal? Well, this film is written by a woman, so... Potentially, but, you know... <laughs> no, it is written by a woman. <laughs> no, potentially this part was written by a woman. Oh, uh, wow, yeah, that's, that's true. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. 
So if if you're trying to seduce a man, all you have to do is just open your legs. And it's that, how it works in cinema. Yeah, industry. is that is that a universal thing? Is that <laughs> worldwide? But either way, it's a sleigh. It's an she forces sleigh. the apple into his mouth before licking his mouth and biting his lip. She pushes him onto the desk and starts licking his chest whilst reaching for a letter opener. About to go full Sharon Stone. And uh, she's like, why don't you shut up, Professor? And then she spots herself in the mirror watching them. And then she mutters the iconic lines of dialogue. I think she's starting to suspect something. And Harrison Ford's like, who? And she's like, your wife. Honest, I just... Chills. It's great. It's a great scene. Michelle Pfeiffer gets to do something different to the um, I'm being gaslit or um, I'm an empty nester sort of thing, uh, which is really cool. I don't know where it fits into Madison's story, though. Because the whole idea is that Madison is trying to get um, some sort of redemption. Mm. or, Or not redemption, excuse me. Some sort of revenge against Norman. I suppose it's So her... was she actually going to try and kill him? Well, or... she was reaching for the letter opener. Or had opener. it just been a while and she was like, well, I might as well get a shag first. Well, she was reaching for the letter opener. And mm. I think it was kind of a way of saying, yeah, look, I'm back, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Norman pushes her off him, which causes her to drop the lock of hair. She becomes herself again. So while she was doing all this, she was gripping onto a lock of hair just to make it more clear. Claire recalls a repressed memory about Norman's affair with a student, Madison, <gasps> which he admits happened during a rough patch in their marriage. Oh. She leaves to spend the night with Jody, who reveals that a year earlier she saw Norman arguing with Adam Ant. Sorry, no. She saw him arguing with a woman at a cafe in Adam Ant. Sorry, in Adamant, <laughs> at a nearby town. Is that a real place? <laughs> yeah. But Adamant is a word. So it must also be a town, but it's also the, the singer of Goody Two Shoes and Prince Charming. Um, sadly, this is the last we see of Jodie. It is. And there's a fair chunk of film still left, so yes. I'm a little disappointed. Well. Um, there's this whole thing, Jodie revealing that she'd seen Norman with a woman. Um, she says, "Can you? I'm so sorry, can you ever forgive me? And it's just like, yes, I forgive you. End scene. <laughs> Jody never to be seen again. I mean... I feel like in these sort of films, you kind of have to have someone who is killed. Yeah. To sort of show the, um, you know, to show the bad guys how far they're willing to go. Yeah. Sort of thing. I'm sure there's a better way of phrasing that, but I, I haven't got it. Um, so I assume Jodie was going to be killed at some mm. Oh, she was going to come in at the end. I mean, oh, Claire, oh, Claire, mm. are you okay? I've just seen the bathtub is full of water. And then Jodie would be killed. Yeah. Um, like, um, oh, my God, what's his name? Uh, from The Shining. Yeah, Dick. Dick, yeah, it is Dick. <laughs> in my head, I was like, um, Dick, yeah? <laughs> uh, like Dick in The, in the Shining. Yeah. I thought we were going to have that moment, but we didn't, actually. Going against expectations. There we go. Groundbreaking piece of cinema. Returning home, Claire finds Norman unconscious in the tub, which he assures her is an accident and not a suicide attempt. Yeah, so... Um, 
the hairdryer can and when you when we sort of think about it now i'm like okay it's like slaps you around the face like what was the point of her with the hairdryer earlier if not to establish there's a hairdryer in the bathroom yeah so <laughs> norman is in the tub the shower's on mm-hmm. uh, but he's in the tub and the hairdryer's next to him um so it's like, okay he's tried to kill himself with a hairdryer in the Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I don't think you could do that in the UK. Do you know? I don't. I can't say I've done research to find out. No, I haven't. No, I mean in the sense of having plugs in the bathroom. I feel like in America, there's a lot of plugs really close mm-hmm. to baths and showers, and I yeah. don't think you could do that here. And we we've got some, but it's specifically for shavers, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, electric shavers. Just interesting little tidbit, UK versus the US. <laughs> I mean, I mean, famously, you put a toaster in the, in yeah. the bath. I don't think you can do that here. That's what I'm no, trying to say. <laughs> um, anyway, why was it always a toaster? Why was it the toaster? Do you mean there's like a famous case? Maybe, maybe I did a little research. Yeah, Jennifer for Tilly you. and Bride of Chucky. Yeah, it's a famous case. I'll uh, I'll do some research. I'll let you know. Norman tells Claire that an unstable Madison confronted him at home when he ended the affair, but denies killing her. Standing on the dock with Madison's hair, Claire is pulled into the lake by an unseen force spot on a jewellery box matching Madison's necklace. Norman pulls at safety and together they burn the lock of hair. I bet that stank. I bet that really it probably smelled did. bad. The smell of burning hair. Ooh, yeah. Not good. Probably smelled bad to begin with. Um, Why Madison look like a clean, <laughs> clean young woman? How long's it been there? It's hair, though, isn't it? Hair doesn't die like that, does it? No. What happens? To, no hair. Oh my god! Okay, we don't need to get into this. It's okay. Claire thinks Madison's... No, I suppose it would, wouldn't it? I mean, if 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 you when you're buried, your hair is your hair the last to go. I have no idea. Oh. Again, I'll do a little bit of research for you. Thank you. Claire thinks Madison's spirit has gone, so celebrates by playing the cello again. Finally. It's about fucking it is time. Honestly, cunty. It's such a slay. Her playing the cello. I think there is something inherently cunty about playing. Yeah. Uh, particularly a cello, but I I feel like any stringed instrument. Yeah. Um yeah. I think playing any instrument actually, apart from like the recording. No. But there's something inherently cunty about being able to play a musical instrument. Don't you agree? No, I definitely agree. Uh, Claire's suspicious... Well. Playing an instrument well. I... Yes. Yes. Claire's suspicions returned. Didn't get long to be happy. Shouldn't. Her suspicions returned when Norman claims not to know that the... Not to know about the cafe in Adamant. Where she sees the same necklace and jewellery box at a nearby shop. Yeah, it's all a bit of guff now, isn't it? It is. Recovering <laughs> the box from uh, the lake and unlocking it with the key from Norman's office, she finds Madison's necklace inside. So she confronts Norman, who says that he came home to find Madison had killed herself. In desperation, he pushed her car into the lake with her body inside. Okay, Richard Hellman. Sure. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Richard Hillman was a very famous, uh, in the UK, um, 
serial killer within the soap opera Coronation Street who drove his family into, I think it was a canal, wasn't it? Rather it was than a canal. lake. Into a canal. If you are unfamiliar, I suggest you YouTube it. The whole Richard Hi, Hillman saga. The whole Richard Hillman saga. It's high camp. It, it's top tier entertainment. Norman agrees to confess and called the police. Um, but Claire discovers he didn't dial nine one one. He dialed four one one. Fucking hell! I mean, that's a dangerous game to play, it is. isn't it? Like, why wouldn't he just dial like two two two? Why? Why be so close? <laughs> like four one yeah. one. Why isn't it just like completely random? <laughs> he... Like he could have unintentionally. Rang nine one one. That number yeah. could lead somewhere. Four one, yeah. Well, no. What's the four one one? Oh, what's the four one one? The four one one is he's paralyzed her <laughs> with halophane, the uh, the serum that was being tested out in the lab earlier on. Admitting, halophane. yeah, admitting, Mister Halophane. That's two Chicago references in one yeah. episode. He admits that he murdered Madison when she threatened to expose their affair to the Dean. Okay. We knew this was going to be the reveal. Why did we have to go all around the houses, all around <laughs> the towns and everything? Robert Zemeckis was desperate to reach that two hour and ten oh minute Oh my runtime. God. I just like, why do we have to have him deny it? Deny mm. knowing her and then deny... Killing her and then deny, like admit that he had the affair. Yeah. But then said that she killed herself, and then we get to the point where it's like, yes, I had the affair, and yes, I killed her. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah, this is definitely <laughs> where the film kind of loses it a bit. Um, he puts Claire in the bathtub, filling it with water to stage her suicide. As he removes Madison's necklace from Claire's neck, her face contorts into Madison's corpse, and he jerks back. Smashing his head on the sink and knocking him unconscious. Now, when I first watched this, this was so intense. The water level rises. Claire recovers enough to turn it off um, and dislodge the plug. And uh, she barely survives drowning. It's intense. But then, for the next half, what feels like half an hour. Yeah. She just walks around the house constantly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, we get it. (laughs) I love the scene. Her in the bathtub. Is she going to drown? Is she not? I love that. I think the sound design is great. I feel like Michelle Pfeiffer plays it so well. Um, Really, really Mm. enjoyed that scene. But yeah, we could have fucking finished the film. Yes. You know, um, it's a shame. She eventually flees in. I also, I'm sorry. I also, (laughs) I've just seen in my notes, go on Harrison, give us nothing. (laughs) Um, <laughs> you can insert that to any part of this film It's true She flees in Norman's truck But he climbs on and attacks her And in Richard Hillman style again They crash into the lake Dislodging Madison's car And her body Whilst Norman tries to drown Claire Madison grabs Norman Allowing Claire to escape As Norman drowns And Madison's ghost drifts away Queens helping queens. Yes. What does Claire say to Norman? That's the last lines of the film. Please think of Caitlin. (laughs) And I have to say, 
Who the fuck was Caitlyn? I know, she didn't think of Caitlyn. <laughs> she soon, think of Caitlin. When she fucking turned into full Ghostbuster, she <laughs> soon forgot fuck? about Caitlyn. Who the fuck was Caitlyn? Please think of Caitlyn. I was like, well, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> what, I've been about two hours since I heard that name. Was she even in the fucking film? <laughs> Later that winter, Claire places a rose on Madison's grave, and that's what lies beneath. Yes. So what did lie beneath? Madison, 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 Madison. Yeah, yeah. Richard Hillman's car. And um, what? So Madison was. I, what I don't understand is what created this ghost. So was Madison's ghost always there? Like, what was the thing that um, started it all off? Do you understand what I mean? Like in the Evil Dead, they read the Necronomicon mm-hmm. and it brings the demons to life. Yeah. What was that moment in What Lies Beneath? Boredom. Boredom. Absolute boredom. Michelle Pfeiffer had nothing to do for the first time in so long, and then it all started to click into place. (laughs) Conveniently, her neighbour was almost murdered, apparently. And then that that brought her attention to someone with the exact same initials, and it all just fell into place. (laughs) If she wasn't too busy out clubbing with her daughter all those years before, then she would have noticed sooner. Mm. But you know what I mean. It's kind of what was she just I always a ghost I in the honestly, of the lake? Honestly, think that is the explanation. It okay. is genuinely Michelle Pfeiffer's boredom. Okay. Like I can't think. There's nothing else. Like how ghosts latch onto vulnerable people. Not even. I feel like she's always been there, but she's literally just noticed. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was too distracted before. Oh my god, I love it. It's love so it. camp. It's, it's campy It's fern. not perfect. It's too long. Way too long. But it's I would so shave fun. at least half an hour yeah. off of it. Yeah, just everything of her walking around the house. It yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's give us some awards. Biggest queen, it should go to Claire, but it's got to go to Jodie. I've got to give it to Jodie. She's, um, she dressed a bit better and she was way more fun than Claire. Claire, Claire was a little mopey at times. She, God bless she's her. And the only time she really served cunt was when she was possessed by someone else. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Biggest gasp for me is the pink polo shirt. Because uh, <laughs> she doesn't have a lot of great outfits in no. this film, but that was too much. For me, biggest gasp was Michelle Pfeiffer opening her legs to married men. <laughs> Best dialogue. Uh, it's, yes, it's a beautiful thing, Alimony. You lose a husband, get a car. Completely agree. And that's camp. It's Michelle Pfeiffer, Christina Crawford, Neighbour Mary's Shoe, <laughs> yes. a bottle of red wine, a candle and a Ouija board in a bathroom. Yeah, absolutely any moment with Claire, Jodie and a glass of wine. Yeah. Hi, camp. Ratings, I give it eight cups of kombucha mushroom tea to soothe headaches and promote psychic wellness out of ten. <laughs> I gave it seven pink polo shirt, stonewashed denim and chunky sandal ensembles out of ten. Masterpiece, trash piece, trash basic, or a camp or bunch of fun for the first time in a while. Yeah. It's a camp or bunch of fun. Camp or bunch of fun. It's available on DVD, video on demand, and Disney Plus. And if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out Gaslight. Yeah, if uh, you if if you enjoyed this, I re- wow. If you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out Rear Window. Yes. Might as well just go yeah. to the original without the supernatural. Yeah. So if you're a fan of this classic, then tell us on social media. We are Horror Culture Show on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. 
Oracle Trash on Twitter. I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazman205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And we're another week closer to the lineup announcement for Gas Para Festival. Yes. We have a shiny new logo. Go and have a look at that. We are Gas Para Fest across all social media. Last chance to get your films in before February 14th. Yeah, it's uh, drawing ever so closer, isn't it? Is. And that is it for our first episode of Women in Horror Month. Next week is kind of Women in Horror, but it's also a break. Uh, for our Valentine's special. Oh, how romantic. We've already got one Valentine's special this year. The rest of the month is all women in horror. Uh, next week, though, we are discussing a film about a woman. Yeah. A psychotic woman. Okay. We are discussing the loved ones. Ah. Hope you're not scared of drills. How romantic. It's gonna. I feel like it's going to be really cute. Um, yeah. The young love. The young love. <laughs> the girl who just wants to be taken to the prom. Uh-huh. Can't wait. <laughs> We're back same time, same place next week. Bye.